Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Susanna Constantine, and this is my Wardrobe Malfunction, the podcast about our relationship with clothes. Sometimes good, sometimes bad, sometimes bloody horrendous. This is our 22nd Zoom episode, recorded in September 2020. That means there are 21 others to binge on if you haven't heard them already, plus eight more from our first season, including Elizabeth Hurley, Tan France and Dame Kristen Scott-Thomas. You can find everything by going to our website, mywardmail.com, where you can also see our pyjama party and join us by emailing your own clothing stories to help at mywardmail.com. Finally, do please subscribe, rate and review and follow us on the usual socials at mywardmail. Right, on to today's special guest, broadcaster, author, CEO, and one of the loose women, Andrea McLean. Her new book, This Girl is on Fire, is out now. It's remarkably brave and candid. Wow, what a read. So, let's grab the handles, open my wardrobe doors, and find out what's inside. Well, I have got the joyous um, moment of introducing Andrea McLean, direct from her very glamorous and gorgeous bedroom. How are you? Hello. It's so funny, isn't it? Because I'm only here sitting on the floor, literally with this laptop resting on an ottoman, because this is the quietest room. Because I've, I've got really good curtains in here and lots of soft furnishings. But at any moment, I could be joined by a dog, a child, anybody. So as long as that's all right, we're all good. That's so fine. I mean, exactly. I've been kind of like going around the house. The, the, our internet here is so terrible because we live in kind of in Sussex in the middle of nowhere. And it's, so if anything happens, apologies, people who are are listening. But um, I I found out something that I never knew about you, um, which was that, yes, you were born in Glasgow, but then you spent the first 15 years of your life in Trinidad and Tobago. Yeah. How did that, why was that? Well, my my dad was an engineer and he worked for Jack Lyle the um, sugar people okay. and mm-hmm. basically my, my dad left school at 16 with well 15 actually with nothing no no O levels A levels anything he just left and uh, he got an apprenticeship with a firm in Glasgow who basically made machinery that was then put into factories all around the world and he he married my mum they'd met at 15 16 they got married at sort of 20 and 21 and he got offered the chance to go to the Caribbean and put some of this machinery into a factory. And, you know, they'd never even been abroad before. They'd they'd got a little flat round the corner from uh, my mum's and my dad, who my, my granddad was a carpenter on the ships in the Clyde. My granny was a cook in the kitchens on the Clyde. 
And that was going to be their kind of upbringing. My mum was training to be a hairdresser. And um, they went out, what was supposed to be for six months. Then it extended to two years. And it ended up being their whole life. My parents basically lived abroad for the rest of their adult life, bar a few years uh, when I was a teenager. We moved back here for a while. And then as soon as I was old enough, they headed back off again. So, yeah, moving to Trinidad changed all our lives. It was wonderful. It was a great place to grow up. Of course. But, but how, so how come did you, when did you first come to the UK without your parents? Well, I came back. Um, we all moved back together. There was... You know, we discussed the idea of boarding school and that sort of thing when I was a teenager to do my O-levels and A-levels. And uh, we all decided as a family that actually we'd rather stay together. So we came back to the UK when I was 15 and uh, I went to school in the Midlands and then uh, because that was where my dad had got a job. And then we moved to Cheshire because he moved again with his job. Basically, by the time I was 17, I'd been to nine different schools in just four different countries around the world. I also lived in the Philippines for a year when I was eight and nine because of my dad's job. So we moved wow. around a lot. How did that affect your confidence, having to make new friends all the time? That's such a good question. And I think that it's something that a lot of people don't really understand how much that shapes you. Um, just depending on how you are as a person. My, I'm really close to my sister. She's four years younger than me. And she handled it very differently. And I don't know if it was because of the ages she was at the times that we moved. She just kind of marched in and said, hi, I'm Linda, and settled straight in and made this massive group of friends wherever she went. I was older every time and always a bit more gauche and shy and insecure mm. and reserved. And so in terms of making friends, I always seemed to move either halfway through a school year or halfway through a term when everyone had already got their group. So I always ended up with people who hadn't formed a group yet, if that made sense. Mm. Um, and I was always just happy with anyone who would have me. And that kind of carried on for the rest of my life. <laughs> I know, I know. But also, I mean, living in all those exotic locations, that must have really affected your, the way you dressed. Didn't it? I mean, did you bring all sorts of wonderful fabrics and things from those places? And so from Trinidad to the Philippines or Philippines to, the Trin to Trinidad? Do you know, it did, but not in the way that you would think. Almost in the opposite way to you would think. What it did was basically I grew up in, in third world countries for all of my formative years. And what that did was it meant to me clothes were just something that were bright, comfortable. My mum made, we didn't have a lot of money growing up, so my mum made most of our clothes. She, do you remember the butterick patterns? And uh, you could yeah. get all sorts of different patterns, yeah. Vogue patterns, all sorts of things. And our treat would be, if we'd been good, was we could go and choose a pattern, choose some material, and mum would make us our, our clothes. And she'd always make my sister and I identical outfits and then little tiny ones for our dolls. So we would all sort of dress the same. Just crazed family. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But what it meant was I, um, I had no idea about labels mm -hmm. about you know we moved back to the UK and suddenly it was what kind of trainers did you wear and this was sort of brand G growing up I wore batter shoes now anyone who's lives in a third world country or has been to third world country batter is a shoe shop it's b-a-t-a -A. you get it 
all around like Africa, uh, Indonesia, the Caribbean. And it, that's the kind of, that was the kind of main shoe shop. So I got flip-flops and little plimsolls and this sort of thing. I didn't care what brand anything was. It was just if I liked how it looked. And, you know, if I had a denim jacket, I would paint on the back of it and stick things on and sew things on. But I never cared what label anything was. And I find it really quite sad now that kids, they rely on brands for their creativity. They don't think of making something themselves because everyone's going to laugh at them because it's not got a certain name on it rather than thinking, do you know, for example, I loved Calvin and Hobbes. The, um, it was a cartoon with a, a little boy who had a tiger who he thought came to life. So I painted a great big Calvin and Hobbes on the back of my denim jacket and embroidered some flowers and did all that. I wore that in my 20s. Didn't care whether I looked ridiculous or not. It was how I wanted to express myself. And kids seem to be a bit too afraid to do that now. Yeah, they do. But I do think, I don't know how you, I don't, how old are your children? Um, nearly 19, nearly 14. Okay. So I, I do think it's changing. I do think it's changing because now it's all about Depop and... I mean, certainly speaking for my children, they'll go to charity stores and secondhand stores and vintage, and they really don't care about labels. It's until it comes to trainers, then they care. But everything else, they don't care. And, and it's kind of like, you know, so much of, of fashion is influenced by um, Japan. And in Japan, for a long time, they've been kind of anti-label. It's all about wearing clothes that um, could could uh, have come from anywhere. And hopefully that will now infiltrate our markets. Because I agree, it is sad that they don't customise their own clothes and all that. Well, funny enough, my, my son's just left home. He's gone to university, which that was a whole other thing in itself. Oh, yeah, um, I know. Oh, mm. can't believe how much I cried. Uh, me too. For 24 hours, sobbed out loud. Yeah, literally. And I don't cry, but my God, I made up for it. I literally went, went upstairs, sat on his bed and sobbed. And then the only thing that made me feel better was I started tidying his room and then I was furious at how dirty it was. So it, it was fine. <laughs> Equilibrium was, was restored. <laughs> but because he's, you know, he's a boy, he's, he's left home, he's always had his own sort of sense of style, as it were. And I'm quite looking forward to seeing what he's going to come home with. Do you know what I mean? What sort of clothes he's going to pick up, who he's going to be influenced by, is he going to come back with? You know, I remember I bought an old, I literally, when I was a student, I remember I've always quite liked hairy bikers for some reason. You'd never think it looking at me, but I do. I quite like kind of rough and tattooed and beardy and uh, I love all that sort of, I know you like your sort of grunge music and I like my shouty music in in a more rock sort of way and I remember going to a party once and there was this proper biker there and I went over and chatted to him about you know his motorbike and his beard and all the sort of stuff you chat to a biker about and I said I love your jacket and the drunker I got uh, the more money I offered him for it. <laughs> I went home with this biker's jacket and I wore it the whole time. How much did you pay for it? Do you remember? Can't even remember. Can't even remember. Oh there were vodka jelly gosh. shots and beer and all. It was messy, but I did buy his jacket. Off I mean, the balls of you. That's amazing. That's maybe that's another way of shopping now. Is just go up to some randomer who's wearing something that you like the look of and say, "How much you pay? Can I have it? How yeah, much do you I love take? That. Can I? Have yeah. It? 
imagine. I think you'd be really flattered if someone came up to you and said, I really like what you're wearing. How much do you want for it? Yeah. Okay, look, we might have something we can start now. So going back to the Caribbean, um, did you go to a lot of the carnivals? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, Every year. Carnival in Trinidad isn't like carnival over here where we sort of get to the bank holiday and think, do you fancy going? I don't know. Do you fancy going? What's the weather like? Yeah, I might go. I might not. There is no question whether you go or don't go. The whole country goes to carnival. And you might not necessarily go to Port of Spain. You might not necessarily go to the sort of main event, but everybody has carnival parties in the sort of build up to it. So from when I was a tiny, tiny tot, you had your carnival costume, you got excited over what you were going to wear. And then as you got a bit older, it got to be a little bit more cool and who you were hanging out with and that sort of stuff and what band you were going to chip behind and, and this sort of thing. But it was all about expression. It was about the music. I still, my heart soars whenever I hear, whenever I hear Caribbean music, it literally transports my soul. I think it's wonderful, wonderful sound. Mm. Do you miss it? Do you miss do you miss that the Caribbean? Would you go back there often? I missed it for a very long time. I was quite cross when we moved back to the UK. Um I was I, I was a very polite daughter, so I think I only mentioned it once, but deep down I was very cross. You know, I went to a normal school. I had I had a, a really original and lovely upbringing. I was the only white girl in my class. I was only the only white girl in my group of friends. So it was extremely sort of cosmopolitan and, and broad thinking in terms of nobody cared what religion you were, what color you were, what, what your thought processes were. We just liked each other. And that was how I grew up. And then I moved to the UK and suddenly um, it just seemed that much more rigid. And I found people very rude. People were so sort of smiley and laid back in the Caribbean in terms of you. the pace was so much slower. You'd stop and have a chat. And whereas over here, everyone was very brusque and in a rush and very, very rude. And it took me a while to get my head around that. And I, yeah, I didn't like it very much and wanted to move back. But then I suppose I sort of got used to it like we all do. Have I been back many, 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 many times, but never to Trinidad? Oh, my goodness. But um, there's a bit of me wants to keep it frozen in time and I want yeah, to remember it as it I was. Can, I can understand that. I don't want to go back. And I have friends that are still there that I'm still in contact with, friends from school and this sort of thing. And uh, every now and again, they'll send me photos of areas where we grew up. And it th- there's parts of it that haven't survived very well in terms of how I remember it and how they are now. So for me, I I love Barbados. Barbados was where we used to go as a as a child. We used to go to either Tobago, which was like going to Cornwall. We'd just pop there, you know, for the weekend. Mm. Um, or we would go to Barbados was the equivalent of going to Spain. So people in the UK go to Spain for their summer holidays. We would go there. And I love Barbados. I have really happy memories of there. So I've taken my kids there quite a few times. And um, I like to get them to stop at a roti shack and try some roti and listen to the music. And they don't quite get it because they've grown up in Britain. They've grown up in a very different environment. But when I, I remember once I 
when I was first divorced, I was on my own and I took them away on holiday, just us. And I hired a, a, just a normal taxi for a day. And I said, take us around the island and show us the real Barbados. I don't want the kids to just see like a hotel and this sort of thing. Mm. Um, I want to see where you live. Take me where you live. Take me where you eat. I want, to, I want them to see this. They were so bored. Can we go back to the hotel? Really? Can we go and play in the pool? We drove past a sugar factory and I was going, that's where your granddad you know, work day in, day out. He'd sweat, be covered in oil, climbing in, fixing places like these. Mm-hmm. Can we go back and swim yeah. now? And so I might try again when they're a little bit older. Yeah, it will It will work when they're a bit older because, you know, we have places like that and, you know, a place in Scotland where we I used to go to every year as a child and exactly the same took the kids back isn't it amazing look at the river you know take your shoes off feel it smell it uh, and then now they're a bit older i've taken them back and they love it and it's one of their favorite places in the world and they get it and i think you know they they have a kind of um inherent understanding now rather than being told that it was someone some a place that was special to me they feel it and that comes with a bit of maturity yeah, so as mine were ten and five when I did this little tour. Um, yeah. You know, we've been back before yeah. uh, since then, and I didn't bother. We just did the lovely things that they wanted to to do. But yeah, ten and five was a bit yeah. too young. Yeah, but they'll remember it. It's, you know, all about building memories, isn't it? But then you, so you came to the UK and you studied journalism and travel writing, and then how did you get the job as a weather girl? By mistake. All my best jobs have happened by mistake. None of them have been planned or thought through, which is a terrible career advice to give to teenagers that it will all work out all right. But yeah, um, I went, I did um, history and politics uh, as my degree. And then when I finished, I'd always wanted to be a journalist. I ended up, I decided to go traveling. So I worked for a year saving money. So I worked in an office uh, during the week. I worked in a pub at night and a shop at the weekends and just saved and saved and saved and I went traveling for a year and I, basically what I did was I just kept writing the whole time I was away and then when I got back I I sold a lot of articles about all the incredible places that I'd been so you know basically magazines and newspapers got great articles for very little money um, because yeah. I gave them all the all the photos I got huge double page spreads everywhere because I was just going look do you want this and just practically gave it away um, and then I found that uh, I, I wanted to be employed as a proper journalist if you like but that I, w I couldn't get taken on without a journalism qualification so I had to come to London and do a postgrad so I basically by then my parents had moved to Africa um, uh, they'd very kindly set me up with somewhere to live for six months and then said after that you're on your own and so I applied to journalism college down in London packed up an old car with everything I had in it and slept on floors and then lived in a bedsit put myself through college and it was while I was living in a bedsit, um, I was applying for every job going. Anything that said journalist on it, I was applying for. And it was a job that said, on-screen journalist with interest in the weather. And I thought, brilliant, that'll do. So I applied. And um, they had asked for a photograph and a showreel. And I thought, well, I don't know what a showreel is, but I'll send them a photograph. And I got this phone call from this woman, very snootily saying, 
I've no idea why I'm ringing you. You haven't even sent a showreel in, but your photograph must be nice. Um, you've been invited for an audition to be a weather presenter. And I was like, have I? And I couldn't think what I'd applied for. Um, anyway, I turned up. I thought it was really funny that this is what I'd ended up doing. But I found I loved it. It was it was such great fun. And because I'd trained as a journalist, I could make notes in shorthand. I was very good at listening to a lot of information and thinking, okay, so really you just want me to say X, Y, Z in normal terms, not all meteorological terms. And at the end of the audition process, this lovely lady, her name was actually called Sally Goldsworthy. I'll never forget her name. She took me to one side and she said, um, well, I didn't expect you to be like this, but actually you're very good. We don't have a job for you right now, but can I keep your name on file? I was like, yeah, of course you can. And two years later, by then I was working as a journalist. Yeah, two years went by. I'd forgotten about it. I got a phone call from someone saying, your name has come up as one to watch. I've watched your audition tape. Are you still interested? And by then I was fed up of where I was working. I was working for a features agency in London. And I thought, well, I'll go along and see what happens. And I ended up uh, getting hired by the Weather Channel. So I spent um, time in America being trained by the Weather Channel. And I just thought, you know, by then I'd moved out of the bedsit. I was now living in a shared flat. Um, Why not? Why not have an adventure? So I quit a staff job for one month's work. That was all they could offer me. You are so courageous all through your life. You are so courageous. But anyway, carry on. (laughs) Well, I I just think sometimes if an opportunity comes up and it sounds really scary but really fun, I always, and I've always done this ever since I was a teenager, I think if I look back on this when I'm 80, will I regret not doing it? And I think, yeah, I would. So I'm going to do it. Even if it doesn't work out, at least I'll know. I don't want to be sitting in a rocking chair somewhere and think, oh, I wish I'd wonder what would have happened if I'd rather just try. So I did it and I ended up working for them for about 18 months. Then I got made redundant, which was horrible. It's a horrible, totally out the blue. One minute I'd been going and talking about pension plans and this sort of thing. And then boom, I got made redundant. But my granny has a great saying, what's for you won't go by you. And what that means is if something is meant to be, it will happen for you. And the week that I got made redundant and was crying in my flat thinking, I'm now unemployed. How am I going to pay my bills? Uh, The weather presenter on GMTV quit. And I heard this through the kind of weather grapevine. And and I thought, I'm going to apply for that job. And how I got that job was also by accident. I sent my photograph in and my I now had a showreel and sent that in. And unbeknown to me, the secretary of the then editor of GMTV, which anyone who doesn't know what GMTV is, it's like GMB now or the Today Show in America or what have you. Uh, The editor's secretary opened his post and saw my little card with my photo in and, and started to laugh and said, since when's your girlfriend wanted to be a weather girl? And apparently I was a spitting image of her. So they called me in literally to have a look at me for a laugh to see how much I looked like his then girlfriend. So I didn't know this. And I turned up bright eyed and bushy tailed thinking, wow, I'm going to get to audition, you know, to be the weather girl on GMTV. And they both just kind of stood there going, she really does. She really does. And I was thinking, what? What? And so he said, oh, while you're here, you might as well do an audition. And I did it. 
And what's interesting was I didn't get the job. They'd already lined up someone else. He was a beautiful human being. He was a model. He was very handsome. They wanted him to do it, but he didn't know how to present the weather. So they hired me to train him. So I got hired by DMTV to train the person who got the job I went for. But because I'm a perfectly nice human being, I thought, okay. So I trained up this lovely young man um, and he did it, but he only lasted a few weeks because he, he couldn't get his head around it and he didn't enjoy it. And so they called me in and just said, look, while we're looking for someone else, will you come and stand in? I said, yep, any job is a job. I've been made redundant. I'll take this job. In a nutshell, I stayed there for 11 years because I just kept really quiet. And I think they just forgot that they'd said, we're looking for someone else. We're just getting you in for this short time. So I was there for 11 years in the end. So that was you on an unstoppable trajectory. Nothing, it sounds like nothing could have prevented that happening. There were all these kind of coincidences. And I wonder now, I mean, I often, you know, I, I think very much the same way, you know, one clause door closes because another one's going to open. And, but I wonder if, I mean, I'm, a, I'm quite a bit older than you, but I wonder if that still happens when you get older, whether, you know, I'm speaking for myself, so I've had, you know, many things that have kind of come my way and got really excited about only for the door to be slammed in my face. And you then think, oh God, you know, how many fucking doors need to be slammed in my face before one opens? So. I'm interested to hear what you think about whether that still applies when we get to middle age. Do you know, you're so right. And I think all it is is age. You know, when you're, when you're younger, um, you just haven't had as many doors slam in your face, that's all. And also you don't have as much to lose. You know, when I took those first brave jumps, all, I only had to think about myself. I didn't have children then. I didn't have a mortgage. Um, it was a lot easier for me to make a decision that was purely based on could I look after myself and I think mm. when as you do get older you you have much more responsibility on your shoulders so it's more difficult to be brave if you like so I think there's that but on the other side oh my god I've had so many doors slammed in my face I've had so many jobs that I've gone for that I I've thought ah, this feels so right, this is definitely the one for me. And then, lo and behold, no, it's gone to someone else. And I, you, you sit and watch them doing really, really well and you're clapping at awards ceremonies thinking, I really thought that was my job. But yeah. Or you sit and watch them and they're shit and you think, how the hell could they get that? I would have done it so much better. <laughs> Let's be honest. <laughs> what I do tend to think is... It clearly just wasn't meant for me. Yeah, I still have, you know, I think you always have to have hope and, and life's not worth living unless you've got a dream. If all your dreams are realised, then what's the point? Well, you just make a new dream. If you're, if all your yeah. dreams are realised, then yeah. you just make an, a exactly. new one. Exactly, you've always got to have a dream, always. I'll tell you a funny yeah. story about not getting a certain job. I'll dance yeah. around it for political reasons, um, which will become apparent. Um, Okay, so I was once offered a co-hosting job of, uh, well, no, I wasn't offered the job. I was offered the opportunity to cast for the job. And it was a, it was a, it was a male, female, you know, the normal thing that they have on telly, the, 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 mm -hmm. the slightly older gentleman and the slightly younger lady co-hosting this big job. And... Uh, yeah, go on. 
Well, I'm not smart enough for that one, but yeah, <laughs> it wasn't that one. And uh, so I did my, again, journalism. I massively researched who the co-host was going to be. Um, uh, he'd, he had written an autobiography, so I, I read that. I read every article I could just to get a proper idea of the man behind the person that you see on TV. So I knew his interests. I knew his this, that, that. So I thought, at least if we can spark up a conversation, I know what, you know, what he's interested in. So I, f I felt really prepared. So we went along to this thing and basically it was a, like a chemistry test, as in they want to see whether you, you gel and, and you get on. And it was all going really, really well until he said a joke. And everybody automatically laughed because this man's really famous and, you know, he's a funny guy. And I laughed, but then I made a comeback and nobody laughed. But I realized they weren't laughing because it wasn't funny. They weren't laughing because they were looking at him. And he, his face just went from <laughs> to, excuse me. And I knew instantly I hadn't got the job because no one's funnier than him. Do you know what I mean? Oh my goodness, and yes. it was at that moment and the whole process, everyone just went, well, thank you so much for coming in. And I can remember as I was being walked to the lift, the, the producer went, Thank you. And I knew by his face that I just said it was because of the joke, wasn't it? And he went, mm-hmm. So years later, when I was looking at the duo as they were, I just thought I couldn't have done that job because yeah. I couldn't have held it in for, no, for all not, those years. Work, Absolutely. You know, working alongside an ego like that must be impossible. And think, yeah. So it wasn't meant to be. It wasn't was meant right to be. Exactly. So that's what Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hi. So, just quickly to the um, weather girl. So, the weather girl, I, I wonder if it was Arika Kerr Johnson who, the sort of little, oh, and Tanya, gorgeous Tanya Bride, Little Miss Sunshine, because the, the weather girl was sort of pigeonholed, if you like, for wearing the little brightly coloured shift dress, which, as far as I can see, hasn't changed very much. Did you fall into that? Did you dovetail oh, into yes. that look? Yeah. Yeah, it was like a uniform. Um, and also it was breakfast TV. So it was our remit that we weren't allowed to wear dark colors. You had to wear bright colors. And uh, and I understood the thought process behind it. The people have just woken up in the morning and they want to see a bright, bright 
colors so that was that was fine but yeah it was a whole sort of shift dress a certain look and and all that sort of thing and I was a weather girl in the 90s and uh they were kind of seen as you were supposed to be a little bit sexy and a bit you know of a of a certain type and I can remember there was one day I was in the makeup room and uh it was before they'd really got to know me. I was I I was fairly new. I'd only been there a few months and was sort of finding my feet. And there was uh, again I, I won't name anyone, but there was some newsreaders uh, in the room uh, who were women, and they were getting ready. And they weren't they were being quite frosty towards me. They weren't being particularly friendly. And um, I was quietly sort of you know in the mirror, sort of getting myself ready. And one of them made a very disparaging comment about being a weather girl. Well, at least I'm not a weather girl or something like that. And I said, uh, why are you not called a news girl? And she went, excuse me? And I said, why am I called a weather girl and you're called a news girl? Because from what I can see, I have to know what I'm talking about and remember it, whereas you just read it off autocue. So why, why am I called that and you're called that? And she went, well, because I'm a journalist. I said, I'm a journalist. She said, well, I've, I've worked on newspapers, I've worked on magazines, and I've got a degree in history and politics and a postgrad in, in journalism. So why are you not called a girl? And, you know, to be fair, and I said it with a smile on my face. No. <laughs> we became very good friends after that. We became very good friends. And for me, I never saw myself as a weather girl. I was just a person who happened to do the weather and loved it. I genuinely loved it. I had so much fun. It was a brilliant job. And I won't have a word said against weather girls because um, apart from, don't call them girls. They're just people who yeah. happen to be presenting the weather. Yeah. There was another time, um, GMTV was up for uh, an NTA and everyone was all very excited and talking about it. And because I was new to it all, I said, what? what is it you're all talking about? Oh, the NTAs, what we're going to wear tonight. What are the NTAs? Oh, they're the National Television Awards. And I hadn't been invited. And every other presenter was going. So I went up to, when I think about it now, it's a sort of blissful ignorance of youth. I went upstairs to the bosses and to the boss's secretary and I said, there seems to be a mistake. Everybody's talking about the NTAs tonight and I don't seem to have a ticket. And they went, yeah, the presenters are going. And I said, but I am a presenter. And they went, no, you're the weather girl. And I said, excuse me. Oh when you think of how many times people are on per hour on the show presenting their segments, I'm actually on more than them. So I need a ticket. And again, the, I remember there was these two older women and they were standing in the, in the little kitchen bit upstairs and they looked at each other and they went, we'll bike one over to you. But what, <laughs> but what they, oh, I mean, this is a whole other story. I ended up being sat with all the, um, oh, what do you call them? The crowd fillers? They didn't put me in with the whole lot. And I got, people tried to kick me out halfway through because I thought I was one of the students that came in to, and I was like, nope, I deserve to be here. You're not carrying me out of the, of the NTAs. Yeah. Um, well, you know what? You've done pretty bloody well on the back of that because you've been on our TV screens for, what, 25 years now? And I, but you are best known for loose women, aren't you? And I've always wondered, although I've you know, been on the show with you and you're just, gorgeous and lovely and it's a really fun show to go on it's one of my favorites but I, I always wonder it's like do you work out what to wear as a, as a collective or do you just go with the flow no uh, there's a really lovely uh, wardrobe team 
but they they okay. they choose it we we okay. honest to god if i had to choose a, i'd wear black i wear black every day and because i like wearing black i i just feel comfortable in it and so i have to be put in bright cheery daytime tv clothes so we have these two lovely girls called Gemma and Bertie who've worked for us forever and um basically they make sure that we all we look like ourselves but in a daytime yeah. tv sort of way yeah i mean do you would you ever allow those clothes to um, walk out onto the high street or are they speci specifically for the studio? No, many of those clothes walk out in my handbag. Okay, good girl. Good there's, girl. A lot of, there's a lot of corporate theft. Good girl. I'm very happy to hear that. Very happy to hear that. Okay, so you don't get to choose anything for TV. If you were going to choose um, something to wear and it couldn't be black, what would it be? So when I when I go on programs and I'm being myself, as it were, rather than as a host or it's a paid job or I know mm. that people expect me to look a certain way, um, I like I like to wear something that's like a shirt and jeans and heels. Okay. That's how I feel yeah. my most comfortable. Or maybe a t-shirt and a blazer and jeans and heels. Um, mm. I never wear heels in real life. I live in trainers. Mm. I mean. Where are they? I've just yeah. taken them off. I'm sitting on the floor. I live in trainers. But when I'm when I'm on the TV or I'm presenting in some kind of way, I do feel when I put my heels on, I stand up a little bit straighter. I stand up taller. I feel mm -hmm. like I, I take up more space. So I, I wear heels then. And I like I do like to look smart when I'm presenting. Mm -hmm. It feels like a uniform. Yeah, but it's interesting that and I hear you say that in jeans and a beautiful white shirt and a pair of heels. It's like my whole image of you has completely changed now. And uh, in my mind's eye, that is you. Totally. I'm never going to be able to watch loose women and think of, and look in those clothes anymore because they aren't you, Andrea. Those kind of you know, quite hard lines and, and bright, bright colours, block colours. That's my... I mean, I always think when I'm doing loose women, I'm being head girl. Yeah. So I put on my head girl outfit but funny enough I have literally just said a few weeks ago to Gemma and Bertie um right I'm ready now to start wearing more me clothes mm. so I want to wear even some nice trainers and jeans and a blazer and a shirt or something like that I don't want to just be known as oh that one that sits on the end in a nice dress mm. so what's changed that for you what's made you think that way I think turning 50 Okay. I mean, I'm nearly 51 now, so it's taken a year to sort of realise, actually, clothes-wise, I'm going to start representing myself more mm. rather than just... It's easy, isn't it, yeah. to just put on what someone gives you, you wear it for an hour and take it off, and I don't think about it again. Or it goes in your handbag. Or it yeah. goes in my handbag, yeah. Mainly the summery dresses that I know I can just wear with my trainers when I, when I get home. But, mm. uh, no, I think I'm... Did you know what I think it is? Is I don't care so much whether people don't like what I'm wearing. I think before yeah. I wanted to wear what I felt everyone else thought I should wear. Yeah, what people were expecting. Yeah. So now, I mean, now you're in your, um, you know, at the beginning of your 50s. Has your style changed or has it always been kind of quite casual? Casual but crisp, I think, is you. Has it always been like that? Yeah, it has. And I've... but. 
when I'm good, it's classic but crisp. And some, but sometimes I just get it really wrong and I dress like a nana. I don't know why. I go too far down the sort of comfort road. And then I don't, I don't care whether something looks nice or not. And I'll just wear it anyway. And then I'll see a picture of myself and think, what? were you thinking and then I'll swing too far the other way and I've worn like PVC and worn my hair in a crazy way and think no that's not me either um I'm happy and especially if I'm going out in the public eye something that's structured and I just put on and don't have to think about it you know yeah that's that's yeah. where I'm comfortable yeah with. no I agree. I'm exactly so I mean I just I just it's funny how clothing there's a time I think when, when, well, certainly for me, when I kind of hit middle age, clothing became so important, more important than the clothes, more important than they'd ever been in my life. And that's because I think I was on, so unsure and I didn't know, you know, it was always I either looked too young or like you say, like your nana. And I couldn't find the, the right middle ground for myself. And so it became an obsession and I couldn't find anything. And then because of that, my confidence went further and further and further and further down. And and then you kind of start to feel your way. And, and once you've found your look, whatever that is, and you're comfortable and you think, okay, this is good, it's, it's, it ticks all the boxes, then you begin to care less. That's what's happened to me. So really I don't actually care very much now I mean I do at the right times yeah of course you want to look yeah. you want to look nice but I mean like for example from I, I suppose it was about the time of uh I had I had a hysterectomy mm, I don't know how long ago it was that, yeah. yeah four you had early ago. menopause didn't you yeah early I did menopause. and and I think since then um because I've put weight on since then but it's all kind of around my middle which is very sort of menopausal, putting weight on around your And I'm lucky, I've got very thin limbs, as in my arms and legs are quite thin, but my middle is, is bigger. So, you know, suddenly finding I couldn't just put anything on and it automatically zipped up. Mentally, that was, excuse me, what what's going on? Why can I not fit in clothes that I, I normally, you know, used to fit into? And I say I it, it took a while to get my my heart around that not just my head but my heart to think well I've this I've definitely changed this is I'm not who I was and now I just think well of course you're not who you were you can't oh you know and I I do feel yes I'm I'm fit I'm strong I'm well I'm happy does the fact that I cannot fit into the same pair of jeans or I can but I have to always leave the top button undone mm -hmm. um is it the end of the world no I did a Facebook Live the other day, and at the end of it, I was talking about uh, my latest book, you know, to talk about feeling good about yourself. And I said, look, mm. one of the key things, do not look at other people and think they all know what they're doing, they're, everything is going great for them. I've literally done this whole Facebook Live with the top button undone, and I felt the zip slowly sliding down as, <laughs> as it's got on. We've all got our thing. We've all got our thing, and, and like you say, it doesn't matter who you are, whether you're a supermodel, supermodel or a you know, Oscar-winning actress, it doesn't matter, we all have our insecurities. But your book, um, This Girl Is On Fire, you talk a lot about um, about the, well, the breakdown that you have and basically mentally imploding. And, I mean, I, I, you know, obviously, I don't know if that was somewhat a chemical thing as well as a behavioral situational thing, but did, did um, 
and it sounds trivial to ask almost when you went through such a traumatic phase, but did clothes play a big importance at that time? And, and was there like a comfort blanket you went towards? That's such an interesting question. It's not something I've ever considered, but the answer immediately popped into my head when, when you were talking was yes, because um, when you go through something that is as painful and traumatic as a, as a breakdown for whatever your reasons are, like you say, whether it's chemical or whether it's because of past events and, and what have you, mm. um, you, you, you look for comfort where you can find it. And what I realize now, just with you asking me this question, is my place of comfort weirdly was at, was at work because I could put my uniform on. And as soon as I put my uniform on and put my heels on and put that mask on, actually, I was fine. I was totally fine during when I was at work. It was this is I know how to do this. I can I can do this. But it was the the other times when I was feeling extremely low and raw and vulnerable, where I was literally living in slobby old tracksuit bottoms and my husband's T-shirts actually that I felt my worst and for example during lockdown um I was I was fine by lockdown and I'm so relieved that actually my experience happened the year before and not during this was so very recent Andrea it was very recent yeah. yeah it was literally a year ago but yeah one of the things that was really important to me every day in lockdown was getting up and getting properly dressed mm. And that was for my mental health. Mm. It was it was nothing to do with vanity or anything like that. But it was to make sure that the clothes I wore were clean, ironed. I looked good. I mean, obviously comfortable because mm. you're not necessarily going anywhere. But that I looked after myself so that I was presentable for myself. Because I think a lot of the time we think about the clothes that we wear as to what sort of image we're portraying to the world. You know, what does this say about me? Like, the lady who sits on the end in the nice dress, mm. that's what people think about me. So when mm. you're thinking about the image you're portraying for yourself, because no one was going to see me during lockdown, why should I care what I wore? I realized mentally how important it was that I got up, dressed, showered, fresh clothes and felt good about myself. Otherwise, mentally, it makes a huge difference if you just throw on any old stained T-shirt and sloppy mm, trousers. Absolutely right. Because I, and it's, it's one of the first things I'm, I'm in recovery. When I first went into, um, it's not anything I've talked about actually, but um, when I first went, when, went into AA, one of the things they said is that self-care was so important. And I never kind of let myself go to sort of, in physically in that way but you know a lot of people do because alcohol becomes the most important thing and um it was about self-care and it's almost like i think and this is the same for what you're saying is that when you 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 protect it's a form of protection yes so you can dress as a form of of as it to have it as a form of armor but it's also to, it's like you have a film of self-respect around you that people can't penetrate. And so if I wake up in the morning and I feel not great and I'm feeling anxious or whatever, I will always dress up and no one's going to see me. And I think, I think that, you're so right, and I've never thought of it before, that is the time when you find yourself because 
you're in midlife because you're not worried about anyone else. And to have, for that very reason, the benefit of lockdown, although it's been a nightmare for you know thousands and millions of people, but just, just on that positive note, you really had an opportunity to find out exactly who you are. And maybe that's why now you're going, you know what? I'm not going to be that lady at the end of the, the desk, looking all pretty in her little bright colour dress. I want to be me, because you found you. Yeah. And do you know, am, I, am I allowed to swear on this podcast? Yeah. Okay, brilliant. Um, um, <laughs> that is what's coming. Um, September for me has always been my new year. Because I hate the idea of having um, New Year in January. To me, that makes no sense. January is the worst month of the year. It's You've had Christmas, which is all lovely, and then it's finished. It's cold, it's dark, it's grey, it's miserable. Why on earth would you then decide to set yourself goals and challenges which involve not doing or being anything that you like? It makes no sense to me whatsoever. So yeah, September, totally September's yeah. always been that start, start of the school year. Exactly, exactly. New year. But yeah. this September, I've decided is fuck off month, and I'm just okay. saying yeah. fuck off to anything that does not suit me and does not serve me, and it's been just so liberating and actually quite. It just makes life so much easier, you know. When someone asks me to do something or whatever I just think does that serve me is that something I want to now fuck off they can fuck off mm. even driving along in the car if someone's beat me you know normally I'd think oh no why but now I just think beep fuck off it's been wonderful and I think that is a midlife thing I don't care yeah. anymore I don't care yeah. if you think I'm a grumpy middle-aged woman possibly I am I don't think you are I don't think you are at all but Andrea this is my wardrobe malfunction so what has been your worst? Oh my God, there's too many to mention. There is too many to mention. Um, I can remember one day I was doing doing the weather, and uh, we sometimes we would we we would choose our own clothes. You'd bring them in, and this sort of this sort of stuff. As long as they were pastel, they didn't care. And I had seen, I think it was in Kukai. Can you remember Kukai from 100 of years ago? Of course I remember Kukai, yeah. yes. 100 years ago. I think it was there. And it was a lilac PVC suit. And I thought this was an incredible thing. And because I was in my 20s, it fit me and looked all right. So I bought this lilac PVC suit. And I remember I walked in at 5.45 or whatever to get ready to go in front of the camera. and. The cameraman, who I'm still friends with, a lot of the cameramen are still the cameramen now that do loose them in. Uh, I remember they're standing behind the, the, the cameras and they just went like this. <laughs> but not in a good way. Not in a good way. <laughs> and I didn't quite pick up on the vibe, so I was busy preparing. Anyway, earpiece in, mic on, do all this. Got to six o'clock did my first broadcast and this is in the olden days before emails and stuff and it was when the, the people used to ring in the phones just went nuts not, not as in what a gorgeous outfit you were it was more what the hell is she doing and our boss who was still in bed at home rang in and went basically what the fuck Tell her to get that outfit off right now. So by that was at six oh one. By six twenty five, I was back in my shift dress. I had to take my lilac PVC suit off. Oh, 
I tell oh you what, I kept God. the trousers though, and I wore them once on Fun in the Sun with Mr. Motivator, because PVC is surprisingly warm if you have to do um, uh, early morning broadcast because it looks warm, but it's looks sunny but still quite cold. Yeah. And Mr. Motivator and I had to do this live going down this funny slide thing. And because it was PVC, I burnt a hole in my bottom in my PVC trousers. Serves you right. It serves you right. I'm sorry, shame on you for buying a, a, a lilac PVC suit. Really, I just can't. I can't. A lilac, what a terrible colour for you, Andrea. Awful. 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 What was awful. I thinking? What were you thinking? Okay, so then, what would your birthday suit be? So you've got a wonderful occasion and you need something that is going to make you a million dollars, what would that be? Well, my go-to would be black. It would be black, because I look nice in black. Okay. Yeah, black. you do, it suits you. It, I think I've got... Yeah. I mean, I do look... I feel like I look a bit like... Um, oh, what's his name? Snape from Harry Potter today? Because oh, the way my... goodness sake. No, but yeah. Okay. <laughs> I take, hang on, I look like this. I don't think so. Yeah. Very disappointed. Okay, yes, you yes, do. Yes, I do. I yes, do. you do. <laughs> Put the glasses back on. <laughs> So when I've, um, you know, got, do you know what it is? Because I'm sitting on my bedroom floor with an overhead light on. Um, and also, when I'm on the telly, I wear hair pieces. Mm -hmm. So I clip in loads of hair and make myself look Fantastic, all glam. But yeah. I'm really honest about the fact that I do it because otherwise lovely women look at the telly and think, why can't I look like that? So I, I've been known in the middle of the street to take my hair pieces out and wave them and go, it's this, it's not me, it's not real because I want to make people feel good and let them know mm. you can do it too. Just buy them and clip them in and get them from mm. Amazon. Um, so what would I wear? Well, I'd wear lots of clip in hair. Um, mm. So my hair is fabulous. And then, do you know, I think I would wear what I wore for my 50th. I love the dress I wore for my 50th. It was actually a dark brown, which sounds horrible, but it mm. was lovely. And it was sequin. The whole dress was sequins. And it was a, uh, like a, pretend wraparound dress with long sleeves a very deep low cleavage because my boobs are the one thing I'm still really proud of everything else okay. is not quite as it was but I've still got good boobs and it sort of crossed over like that and was very figure hugging but I didn't even have to wear spanks or anything it was really comfortable wow. yeah so I could just wear my normal underwear but still felt quite sexy but still mm -hmm. me because I had my long sleeves. Mm -hmm. It was a, it was a classy color, and I had really killer high gold heels on. Sounds gorgeous because it sounds, it's like the dress isn't wearing you. Beautiful color for you. Simplicity is the art of decoration. Mm. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. So you've got your new book coming out. This girl is on fire, which is out on the 29th of September. So any minute now. And everybody, you've got to read it because it's, it's weirdly, it's kind of everything I expected you to be because you're so warm and open and that really comes through in the book. But there's so much, what I found, there's lots of things that I identified with that I always thought I was the only person who ever felt them. So I got a lot of comfort from, from reading it about many of the, of the parts. So thank you for that. Oh, thank you so much. I'm I'm glad that you enjoyed it. It's a, you know, it was quite a terrifying thing actually to write a book like this because yeah. it's it's heart the, on your sleeve opening up. My yeah, goodness. yeah. It, you left nothing out. 
apart from things that legally I couldn't, couldn't put in, I left nothing yeah. out. Um, do you know, to be so raw and vulnerable and open was really terrifying because I was scared people wouldn't like me anymore because people have this image of me as the, I'm the very together head girl at the end of the desk who holds all the loose women in, in sort of check. And then for me to put my hand up and go, I actually had a nervous breakdown last year and it was because of extreme trauma that I experienced in my past at the hands of another human. And it took going on a TV show where I didn't expect it to happen, but every mask I've ever worn was ripped off my face in terms of, you know, there was a bit in it where we had a bag put over our head. This is on SAS Who Dares Wins. It's a Channel 4 program. Mm. And it was you were brilliant in that. Yeah. Oh, thank you. I'm oh, so so impressed. Yeah, it was. A, that was another thing where I thought, well, I look back on on my life and wish I'd done it, and I didn't want to regret it, and I don't regret it. But but doing that sort of unintentionally and unknowingly to me, it ripped off every mask that I'd ever worn. The sort of the mum mask, the wife mask, the broadcaster mask, and I was just stood there raw, and it forced me when I got home to deal with all these things that I hadn't resolved. I think all of us have been through things in our life and some of them are more traumatic than others. And I do think that one person's trauma does not belittle another, you know, this isn't a tit for tat thing as to who's is worse than others. Your your thing is your thing. Um, And for me, because I managed to, reach out for help I had some incredible people around me who were able to recommend so experts who gave me advice and books to read and 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 I had therapy as well I just really wanted to pay it forward in the same way as I did with my last book which was all about paying it forward with information with the menopause it was literally that simple just I can't believe you guys don't aren't getting access to this so here it all is it was the same thing but for me it was it was I wanted to write a self-help book based on stories because I think that anybody can put loads of facts and figures and information out there, but you don't remember them. What you remember is stories. Exactly. You remember Especially some of the women. Women yeah. remember stories. We, re- yeah. we relate to it. And I think, like, for example, I've broken it down into chapters, and one of the chapters is called We're All a Mixture of Shit and Brilliance. Mm. And that, I think, is probably the key thing to take away from the book. Don't, especially as women, don't set yourself up to fail by thinking if you don't do everything perfectly, then you've got it all wrong. Actually, nobody really knows what they're doing. We're all just muddling through. And once you get your head around that, actually you realize how brilliantly that, that you're doing. So I, I really appreciate that you like yeah. the book. No, Thank I really so much. do. I just and want I really to help. And, and, you know, having spoken to you now, that you are, you, you aren't shit, you're brilliant. And it's maybe some of the lilac PVC super shit, but you are brilliant. (laughs) And I've loved, loved talking to you. So thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. So lovely. Yeah, you take care. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.